Colin's beard. The Jewels of the Trade podcast. Encouraging professionals with industry inspiration, gemology, and more. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Jewels of the Trade podcast, a resource for gem and jewelry professionals. I'm Jordan. And I'm Hunter. Our company, Jewels of the Trade, supports retail jewelers with content for staff and client education, drives consumer demand for niche products using SEO marketing, and connects retailers to vendors in a way that is honest, convenient, and respectful towards both parties. You've never met reps like us. We are wholesalers helping retailers, so be sure to check out our shareable content, educational resources, and reach out anytime regarding your product needs. Today, we're talking to Jeremy over at Color Source Gems about his market predictions for Ruby and Sapphire based on his recent buying trip to Bangkok, which took place during some pretty important industry buying events. Be sure to stick around and listen to his gems of wisdom. But first, I want to share a couple of fun facts to help retailers sell the incredible stones that are Sapphire and Ruby. Yeah, colored stones as a whole seem to be increasing in popularity. Not that they ever weren't popular. Yeah, Sapphire and Ruby are arguably the most recognizable of colored gemstones. They're extremely historically significant. Sapphire comes in a variety of colors, which customers love, and jewelers love them because they're suitable for everyday wear. A lot of celebrities wear colored gemstone engagement rings, and of course, when they do, the industry can't help but talk about it. But I somehow actually didn't realize that Katy Perry's engagement ring is actually a ruby. I'm sure it's a firework, a teenage dream, if you will. Its beauty probably keeps her wide awake. Anyways, if it's good enough for Katy Perry, it's good enough for your customer. Ruby engagement rings are also good enough for Eva Longoria and Jessica Simpson, so that's exciting. Uh, Hunter, what's a fun fact about Sapphire that retailers might not know? Well, until recently, uh, I didn't know that in Europe, it was once illegal to wear Sapphire if you weren't nobility or a high priest. These laws existed until the 17th century, which in the grand scheme of history is not that long ago which means jewelry shoppers today have an incredibly rare opportunity that most people in history never could have, and that's the ability to own a sapphire. I mean, industrialization plays a role in availability, but it was actually against the law then. It's a great time to be alive. I'm excited. It's time to get to the good stuff. Yeah, we're going to learn a little bit about Jeremy at Color Source Gems and hear some of the behind-the-scenes perks of gym dealing and the unique industry insights that his industry travels have given him. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Jeremy of Color Source Gems, a colored gem wholesaler out of New York. Jeremy actually just got back from a very long buying trip in Bangkok and is going to tell us a little bit about what to expect from the post-COVID colored gem market in the coming months, as well as a little bit about his family business and gem expertise. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, uh, great to be here. And uh, this is what I sound like. <laughs> We're happy to have you. Where are you recording from right now? This, this is my apartment in New York City. Uh, my wife is uh, in the other room. Oh, hello, Jeremy's wife. <laughs> I'll pass on your regards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very excited to get to talk to you today. So thank you so much for being here. Jeremy, you are very well known in this industry and very well traveled. I think a lot of professionals trust your expertise and look to you for colored gem sourcing can you talk a little bit about your business and what it is that you do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, my father worked in colored stones or has worked in colored stones for probably about 40 years now. 
when he came to America, he was selling life insurance. And one of his uh, friends said, hey, you know, like you should stop this and come work for me. And so my father was never in the business, never had any experience. And so it was a piece of paper and it was written on it, you know, green, emerald, blue, sapphire, red, ruby, and, you know, had all the shapes drawn on it and everything. And so he would go and try and sell to people on 47th Street because you could do that back then, just knocking on doors all day long. And then eventually he joined like a different company that was even larger and better and became the top salesman there. And then after a few years, he went out went out on his on his own. This was his passion. And this was something he like actively pursued and was interested in. He was definitely a, like a salesman. Yeah. going to say, I guess that that passed down to you too. <laughs> yep, exactly. 35 years later, I joined the, the business and uh, actually took my dad's offer on a job because I was dating this woman who lived in the city and I wanted to move closer to her. So I took the job with my dad. I moved to the city. And then a week later, uh, this woman and I broke up. <laughs> but it was a great thing that that happened because I decided to stay in this business and pursue the this passion uh, that I now have. And so we at Color Source Gems, just to kind of get the background out of the way, we specialize in colored stones. Uh, our primary uh, stones are emerald, ruby, sapphire. That's where my dad started. That's where he has his most knowledge and uh, most knowledge and foundation. And then me, I expanded the business to include other gemstones that we now carry, such as Australian opal, aquas, tourmalines. And uh, we now carry kind of a, a run of the gamut in terms of like semi-precious, although I'm not supposed to say that. Uh, <laughs> and like we carry a lot of colored stone melee uh, for manufacturers and in stores. Are all of the stones loose? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my father for many years actually did do jewelry, but uh, we've since been getting out of that and selling off our like our jewelry and really just focusing on the stones. Uh, we do make customs like for customer requests, but that's not our focus. Sure, sure. And then as far as sourcing, do you travel to source all the stones? Is it just you and your dad or is it a pretty big company? Uh, actually, it's a really intimate family business. Uh, there's me, my dad, my mom, my office manager, and then we hired someone else as well recently because my office manager actually just gave birth like, you know, a few days ago. Yeah. Congratulations to, to her. Oh my gosh. Congratulations to her. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> that is awesome. So you guys operate out of New York, but then you do quite a bit of travel on top of that. So before COVID, we traveled probably about three or four times a year for sourcing. My father used to go a lot more places back when the world was a bit bigger and you had to go to those places in order to buy. And so I've been to, for, for work purposes, um, in terms of buying outside of the US, I've been to Jaipur, I've been to Sri Lanka, and I've been to Bangkok. Wow. And then as far as other things, like we have partnerships with people in New York and outside of New York in so that way we can uh, source, manufacture and produce stones for our customers. And you work with retailers just in the U.S.? Primarily in the U.S. Yeah, that's that's my market and that's where, where we're focused. Wonderful. 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 Well, retailers, I hope you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I have shipped as far as I 
think it was like Serbia or something. Like one time, yeah, or like I, I shouldn't say as far. I should say like as obscure as Serbia. No offense to any Serbians out there, but I was a little thrown off by that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah, in the States here, whenever we get international requests, I think there's a lot of suspicion. But in this industry, it really is an international industry. And I was surprised when I stepped out of retail and onto the wholesale side, how much business the industry does here with just like every single country and countries that you wouldn't expect. And it really shows you how big this industry is and how much impact it has on economies all over the world, which is incredible. Definitely was something I was unaware of before joining and getting more educated on it. I'm deeply surprised with how many people are involved uh, in this industry every day. It's mind-blowing. It's huge. It's crazy. It's a small world from the inside of the industry. So it sounds like you went straight into wholesale, like you didn't do the retail thing first. No, I've never I've never done retail at all, actually, in gemstones, at least. Never did that. So how did you get your training? Like, how did you come to understand the gemstones? Was it just firsthand observation? Uh, yeah, actually, it was. So I started GIA online. I didn't finish because like I was primed to finish like diamonds and stuff like that over like right before COVID happened. COVID hit and I was like in the middle of the course. And then my wife got super sick with COVID. She has long COVID. So it was kind of like flare ups over time. And just at that time, she was sick for like a year straight, just like horribly. Yeah, it was really bad. So like everything that wasn't like work and her like was just derailed. So that included the GIA and I didn't really get a chance to go back to it. But I got to say, measuring crown angles is just its own form of torture. I can't imagine being a diamond person and dealing with that, like, actually. They have a machine that does it. That was what got me when I got to GIA and we're sitting in the room and they're, and I had already learned all about crown angles and like the girdle and everything. And they're like, okay, well, we have a machine that actually does this for us. So if you were a diamond creator here, you would never have to do this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> After all that time and effort, <laughs> I wouldn't even have to do this. I can't even begin to explain just like how how annoying that is. But that machine is probably $500,000. So like you'll never see it True. outside of GIA. So there's that. But as far as a lot of my, my, my training uh, or most of it has really been on the job. Well, getting back on track here. So you obviously get to travel and experience the industry through kind of an international lens and, you, and you've worked with people internationally and have some really unique experiences. Did you visit the tourmaline mine? Is that what you were there for? Uh, no, actually. Uh, so in, in Bangkok, they don't mine tourmaline there, although a lot of rough from Africa and other places around the world uh, actually winds up in Bangkok. So it's very much a big rough city. To kind of uh, exemplify that or to talk more about the rough in Bangkok, actually, and, and why or kind of support that is the fact that while we were there, there was actually two auctions going on. There was the Gemfields Ruby auction, uh, which was, I believe, happening, which was happening in Dubai because of the pandemic and now is shifted to Bangkok. And I believe they're having it every three months. And then there was also another company like Fora Funa, I'm I don't quite remember, but they they were doing an Australian sapphire auction as well at the same time. So people that we did business with, they were bidding both auctions in the realm of. We'll talk about that soon, but but ruby ruby lots could go for 
over a million dollars easy. Oh my gosh. And there were over 125 lots, I think around 140 or so. So there's a lot of um, lot of money going after that rough. This is so exciting. Like I'm so interested in this. So let's start at the beginning. How, when were you in Bangkok? How recently? Uh, sure. So I was in Bangkok. We are recording this on December 5th. I got back the 28th of November and I left for Bangkok on the 18th. Oh, wait, is that it? Sunday? I left Thursday. I arrived Saturday. Yeah. And then I left the following Sunday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. So over a week then, was that your first time in Bangkok? Uh, no, no, no. I've been there a couple, like five or six times before the pandemic. Uh, but if you talk to my father, Jeremy, I've been going here for 30 years, you know, like we used to not be able to eat out. There were no restaurants, you know, there was no highway. You couldn't eat outside the hotel. There was one department store, like just every day. I have to listen to that every day. That's that same story every day. It's uh That's adorable. Oh my gosh. We're going to have to have him on the podcast one day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you've been five or six times and then you went specifically for the auctions. Is that correct? Uh, no, actually not. Not us this time. We don't buy from those types of auctions. We like work with the people who do buy from those auctions. So those auctions are kind of a... Uh, like another territory and another level. And we're just, we're content with, with our auction, like with, with our level of what we do, like spending a million dollars is uh, on some rough and not being there to oversee it and cut it and everything. A lot of people, like there's a lot of different partnerships that happen and it's just not something that we're set up to do right now. Right. No, that I totally understand. And in, in the Jade world, it's kind of the same thing. Of course, the, the Jade auctions, when the jade boulders are transported from Myanmar to China for the jade auction. I mean, that's like a very, very, very exclusive thing. I don't think you can just go. <laughs> Even if you're a jade person, I'm pretty sure you have to be invited or it's something crazy like that. Super exclusive. So no, I totally understand. You were there in November. You were there for over a week. You witnessed the auctions, but you weren't participating in the auctions. So you were there for sourcing and networking? Yeah, so sourcing and networking. We actually didn't see the auctions in person. Uh, so like you you have to like apply and then you get invited to go and see the rough and you get to inspect it. But that's not something that, that we did. But we kept hearing about it. Like every office we went to, everybody we talked to is is the talk of the town in the in the gem world both both the both rough auctions and the fact that like in the future because you have to understand that while you're there in bangkok you're you're listening and you're talking to people you have to understand that like the market in bangkok there's a lot of money among the the gemstone dealers that are there and the people who buy rough and everything but ruby rough is just and that like australian sapphire rough those are just like one type of rough and you have manufacturers and people who buy and specialize in five or six different types of stones. And so they buy five or six different types of rough. And so if they're spending $12 million, let's just say in the auction for the rubies alone, or if they're trying to spend $20 million or $30 million is what they're bidding, they're putting up, and maybe they get five or $6 million. But if that auction is happening every three months, and then you have to spend about a year in order to like cut the rough that you have, analyze it, make sure that it's cut the right way. And so you have several different auctions happening and you kind of have to watch like, where's my money going? Because if you have a bank account with $100 million in it, it can get chewed up real quick if you're not careful, especially because you also need to like buy gemstones that come your way that are good value. And, and so like, if you think about these auctions 
happening just like on such a consistent repeated basis and people bidding and examining all of the different lots of rough every single time it comes to Bangkok. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of dedication. And it's it's just not something that everyone can do, has the time to do, has the pockets to handle. And and if you if you screw up once, it could be a million dollars or eight hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars that it just gets wiped out of your bank account. And even if you do buy well, you have to wait at least a year in order to recover whatever it is you purchased. So you guys import already faceted gemstones. Yeah, primarily that's what we do. We deal with the the finished product. Occasionally we deal with rough and other things like that, but it's primarily just the finished product because it's you know what you're going to get. Right, right, exactly. Well, I'm sure your experience in Bangkok was very, very eye-opening. It sounds like if you were there networking and talking to a variety of people and also being aware of the auctions because it was it was the talk of the town, as you said, I bet you can provide some very interesting insight for our industry on what to expect from Colored Stones as far as pricing and value and availability. Uh, sure. Um, so I'm really going to talk about uh, Ruby Sapphire because that's what my father and I were there to buy this trip and what we primarily focused on and what we talked about. So with the pandemic, it's created some supply issues overall within Ruby and Sapphire. When we were in Bangkok, Ruby prices were very strong, very strong. So we were able to purchase some stones at a good value, some stones we paid a little bit more for, it's just really important to understand that ruby prices are really just going to go up in the uh, in the near future. So for everyone listening, if you have a customer who is on the fence about buying a really nice ruby and they're like, maybe I'll wait six months, I'm just letting you know, don't do it because the price is just going to keep going up for the foreseeable future. And nobody really knows what it's going to be. But each and every auction for the past year, the average like bidding prices have just increased by 15% each auction. And there have been four auctions. So that's like a lot of increase and a lot of money that people have been bidding and people have to get their money out of that rough somehow. So prices are just going to keep going up. And would you say this is for all Ruby regardless of origin? I would say that Mozambique Ruby is the one that was in the auction. That's the largest supply in the market. That's the most generally desirable origin for a ruby in the market because of the, the rich red color that it contains. When it comes to like a fine no heat Burmese ruby, that's a bit of a different conversation. And the prices have always been crazy for that. And we'll just keep being more crazy, I suppose. I would guess Burmese rubies would be unaffected by COVID. Is that right? Well, there's a different problem with the Burmese rubies because of the United States issuing a ban on the importation of Burmese rubies into the United States. So what happens is basically with that is that it just they just get like smuggled into Thailand, labeled as Thai rupee, sent off to the United States or sold as Burmese rubies and stuff like that. Like it's a bit of a different world. But if the Mozambique ruby prices go up, the Burmese ruby prices kind of just go up with it because why not? Because <laughs> they have to be the best, right? They have to be the most expensive. <laughs> you know, but at the same time also like, because if, if I'm a ruby dealer and uh, in Bangkok, let's just say, and I have 
rupees from Mozambique that are $500 a carat, right? But these Burmese ones are Burmese. So they, they command a higher price because they're Burma. And therefore, I get to charge, you know, five fifty a carat for these, even if my my cost is much lower. But the, the market kind of will will adjust and see what's going on with Burma and its own special category and how they get labeled as Thai or Mozambique and shipped over to the United States. And then people are like, Yeah, these are Burmese rubies. Like, what's the big deal? So the ban is really on the importation of the stones from my understanding, not necessarily like if they're already here, similar to like, I suppose, and please don't crucify me for this, uh, like ivory, for example, like ivory, if it's in the United States, is like fine, so long as you have your paperwork, like don't try and sell it because you'll be arrested or something or it'll be confiscated. It's not the same with rubies here. It's rubies, like once they're in the country, like it seems to be fine, but they just can't be like labeled Burmese rubies on like the invoice that you're you know, sending into the country, basically. I just think that all ruby prices are going to go up. And if you're going to buy your ruby, buy it now. Sapphire prices are strong. I don't think that they're going to be rising anytime soon. If you talk to Sri Lankans, a lot of them will say there's like no goods in the market. But people in New York are receiving packages from Sri Lanka with nice, well-cut, clean stones every day every week. There's a lot of Sri Lankans running around New York right now trying to sell to all of us here. Uh, there have been and they're, they keep coming. So uh, I think they've kind of slacked off a little bit just because of the holidays and they know it's a bit harder to sell around this time, but they'll, they'll be back and they'll be, they'll be in Tucson with plenty of inventory to show for it. But they claim there's not as much good, there's not enough goods in the market. I do have a friend who goes to uh, Tenthabury and when he was there, he was saying that some of the factories that he buys from, they don't have the material that they need. Some of the factories, they ran out of rough, which like has never really happened before. So in terms of buying calibrated goods, in terms of buying more commercial quality, there have been some issues with the supply. But I think that overall, like we're going to be okay in the end, especially because things are sorting themselves out in the supply chain. Sure. And then have you seen any increase in demand for Sapphire in Ruby? Yeah. So I think overall in America, at least where we do most of our business, there has been an increase in demand for all stones all gemstones people have really purchased a lot during the pandemic the industry has seen a lot of growth our retail partners and customers have reported that they've had record years so i'm absolutely thrilled that the industry has done so well i would say that there's an increased demand for colored gemstones particularly in the bridal market. But overall, I would say that we're seeing more customers at the retail level asking for colored gemstones in lieu of diamonds. That has been my understanding. Yes, that has definitely been something that we've seen a lot of as well. And even my friends on Facebook and, and everything else like that, a lot of them have been posting engagement rings uh, with a colored stone in it. Well, and I think for colored stone engagement rings, ruby and sapphire, probably the top choices. And you might actually know the answer to this. I've always wondered. I have heard that internationally, sapphire is actually the preferred gemstone for engagement rings and that diamond is really only number one in the US. Do you know if that's true? I don't know if that's true. I don't think so. 
I would love to hear more of your perspective on what you saw in Bangkok and, and what you what kind of message you would have for retailers kind of reflecting your the information that you gleaned there. Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. So things that I saw there, I saw a lot of different stones. I think that retailers are definitely going to be able to fill their orders and their calls for gemstones, whether they're expensive or inexpensive. I think that the stones are there. It might require a bit more of a search or it might require one of us as in on the wholesale side, reaching out to our contacts overseas to get you what you need. So um, it might require a little bit more patience with something maybe a bit more expensive or a bit more unique. But I do think that we'll be able to fill what it is that you need when you need it. As far as the prices, I think the prices are of Ruby, as I mentioned, are going to go up. I think Sapphire are going to stay around where they are for the foreseeable future, which is a strong price, especially for higher end merchandise, more commercial quality. I think the, the prices are going to stay pretty stable in where they are for particular origins that people may be interested in, such as Tanzania or Burma. I do believe that the supply of those places is going to be steady I think Nigerian Sapphire is coming more and more and more to the market. And I think that people who are retailers, they're not going to have as much to worry about as it might have seemed a year ago. So I think that's a wonderful market prediction that will be very, very useful to retailers in the coming months. So when I said, at least for Ruby Sapphire, something that might take a little while, I'm really strictly talking about larger, more expensive, no heat, rarer stones, rather than more on the everyday calls, because I think those are very readily available and can be satisfied by the gemstones that are in the US currently, whether it's a three carat emerald cut sapphire or a three carat oval, no heat ruby. I think there's enough merchandise and enough product in the United States to handle that. For something, if you wanted like a seven carat no heat Burmese ruby in a you know in heart shape, maybe maybe we might have to call someone. But <laughs> <laughs> man, I want a seven carat no heat Burmese ruby. That sounds great. <laughs> I want that customer. I just want to sell one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds ideal. That sounds ideal. Well, as we're wrapping up, is there anything you want to add about your trip to Bangkok? Any amazing stories or anything just incredible and entertaining to say about this incredible trip? Yeah, actually. Uh, so I really want to just say thank you to, there's actually a really good group of people over there who have were really welcoming to me being there. And it was really nice to, to hang out with them. So there's an Italian restaurant in Bangkok. And every Monday, these like group of guys get together for like a guy's night and could be anywhere between four guys to like 30 it kind of depends on who shows up, but I was there and I met some really great people who really helped me out as far as um, they introduced me to a, like, you know, one or two new people that I, I didn't know about. And just special thanks to Wim of GIA. He was he was great to talk to for, for a while. What a great guy just all around. Uh, Simon, he was a really, he's just like a really great guy uh, while I was there. I'm forgetting his last name, but Billy Hughes, Simon and I, we went out for dim, dim sum and just had a really good time. So just shout out to you folks over there and uh, shout out to 
Justin K. Prim, and I, I hope you have a great tour uh, across the world in your fascinating journey. Very excited to see where that goes. So, yeah, just wanted to make those shout outs. <laughs> you got to hang out with all the stars, <laughs> like big names in the industry. Oh, my gosh. I was a little little fangirling, <laughs> but I kept it cool. I kept it cool. I I, knew, I know Justin. He, he taught me some cutting like a couple of years ago. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, that was an amazing story. I loved hearing about your adventures. And I think that our listeners will too, especially those in retail who kind of need more insight into that experience. So Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. How can retailers and other wholesalers needing ruby and sapphire and other gemstones that you offer, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So we have a website that I'm currently discussing uh, with someone to remodel, uh, but you can find us at colorsourcegems.com. But the best way to really take a look at my inventory or I'm sorry, find out more about our inventory is to give us a call or email. You can find us at info at colorsourcegems with an S at the end dot com or uh, give us a call at 212-221-6121. More than happy to help out, whether it's 10 pieces of uh, 1.5 millimeter rupee to, uh, I don't know, a crazy whatever it is that you need, right? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, be sure to give Jeremy a call for your next colored stone need. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Take care.